When the Bible was written, as you know, it was not divided into chapters and verses as we have it now. And so I would like to call your attention to the verse which immediately precedes the chapter that we're going to look at tonight, the last verse of the 61st chapter, a very appropriate verse for this season of the year. For as the earth bringeth forth her bud, and as the garden causeth the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. That's a good springtime text, isn't it? Now, with this setting, for Zion's sake will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness, and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness, and all kings thy glory. And thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate. But thou shalt be called Hephzibah, and thy land Beulah. For the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married. For as a young man marrieth a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee. And as the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night. Reading the margin now. Ye that are the Lord's remembrancers, take ye no rest, and give him no rest, till he establish, and till he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. In this wonderful galaxy of statements, may I call your attention to three that stand out like the three corners of a great constellation. The first statement in the first verse, I will not rest. The next one in the sixth verse, take ye no rest. Reading the American Jewish translation. Here in our King James, it says, keep not silence. The thought is rest. And then in the seventh verse, give him, that is the Lord, no rest. Will you look at those three now together? I will not rest. Take ye no rest. Give him no rest. What is this subject? which is of sufficient importance to make everyone busy about carrying through a certain plan. What is this purpose? What is it that's so important that I must not rest, others must not rest, we all must unite in giving God no rest until it's done? What is it? Well, he says it's till God establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise 
in the earth. You see, when the great controversy began, Lucifer charged that God was unjust, unreasonable, and that nobody could keep God's law, that it was impossible, and that if the creatures of this universe had a fair chance, they would not choose God as their sovereign. And so, all these millenniums, the controversy has been going on. And, of course, many of the people of this world have voted along with Satan to rebel against God. But all the way down through, God has had some that have stood for him. Against them, Satan has marshaled all his hosts to silence their witness. But it has been God's purpose that here in this world, in this present world, a nation might be developed, not merely an individual here or there, but a nation might be developed that would fully vindicate God's character and reveal God's purpose. It was for this reason that he called Abram from Ur of the Chaldees and gave him the promise that through his seed all the nations of the earth should be blessed. It was for this purpose that later God called the seed of Abraham out of Egypt and through a series of miracles brought them into the promised land and established them there in Canaan. He made wonderful promises to that people. He intended that they should give a demonstration of heaven on earth. That's what he intended. And if they had only listened to his instruction, if they had only been willing to keep his commandments, that's exactly what would have happened. The whole world would have been put in the position where they would have had to admit that God's way was better than Satan's. Now, they came a certain distance along that road. You remember that uh, under Joshua, Canaan was conquered, and God's people established there, and the fame of the God of Israel spread far and wide. But foolish as the human heart is, they soon plunged into the idolatry of the nations they'd conquered. And losing God's presence, they lost his power. And they in turn became conquered by the nations around them. Finally, under Samuel and under David, there was a reformation. And under Solomon, Israel reached the zenith of her glory. And we're told that the kings of the earth came to Solomon to learn his wisdom and to see the glory. But because Solomon departed from the book of the law, Israel under his leadership went downhill fast. In the very prosperity that had come through their obedience to God, lurked to danger. They trusted to popularity, prestige, prosperity. And so, very soon, they were divided and later conquered by other nations, and the Jews were scattered all through the other nations. They never regained the glory that had been theirs under David and Solomon. But even in the time of her glory, Israel never reached the high position that God intended. 
the demonstration was only partial. How then would the demonstration be made? Finally, the Son of God came to earth, became a little babe. He came to his own. He came to Israel. He came to that people that had been established there by the providence of God. He came to that place that heaven had selected for the demonstration. And there he revealed himself as the Messiah, the one that fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament. And oh, my dear friend, if Israel had only received him, Jesus would have led them to the heights of glory. And right here in this world, Jerusalem would have become the metropolis of a great kingdom. That's what many of the Old, prophet, Old Testament prophecies deal with. What could have happened? What would have happened if Israel had only received her king? But because he called for a reformation of heart, a change of life, they would not receive him. Because he showed them sacrifice, they turned away from him. And they nailed him to the cross. And Israel as a nation was doomed. What then would God do? Would he give up his plan to make the demonstration? Would he admit the claims of Satan that it could not be done? No. No. He said, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and giving to, given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. And that was the church, my dear friend. In the New Testament church, we have the Israel of God. And so we read in Galatians, the third chapter and the 29th verse, if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So all who accept Jesus become a part of the Israel of God and to them is to be fulfilled the covenant promises. Now, that is a great statement to make, friends. And while I have just proved it with the verse that I have read from the Bible, I want to back it up with this inspired comment from the book Prophets and Kings, Page 713. Here it is in one sentence. That which God purposed to do for the world through Israel, the chosen nation, he will finally accomplish through his church on earth today. I want to read that again. This is tremendous in its implications. That which God purposed to do for the world through Israel, the chosen nation, he will finally accomplish through his church on earth today. And may I say, friends, and I want you to ponder on this, that can never be done merely by having some individuals here and some individuals there that are true to God. It must be done through the church. That's what God is waiting for. And therefore, if you and I could run as fast as Elijah ran before the chariot of Ahab, we could not individually ever run fast enough to carry out this purpose of God. 
This is something that must be done in the church, through the church. This is what God has set his heart on for 6,000 years. That a whole nation, a whole group, the entire body of the faithful should together give a demonstration here on earth of the principles of heaven. And this is the purpose that calls for these exhortations and these determinations in the text we have read tonight. Look at it again now in Isaiah 62. For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. Nearly three millenniums have gone by, my friends, since those words were penned by the ancient prophet. But the time for the urgency of this thing to grip the people of God is now. This is the hour when that sense of restless longing, that sense of divine urgency shall grip our heart that we cannot be satisfied with anything less than the complete carrying out of God's plan in the church. And so he says, I will not rest until that happens. And then down to the sixth and seventh verses. I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night, ye that are the Lord's remembrancers. Do you see that in your margin? Take no rest, and give him no rest till he establish, until he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Who are the Lord's remembrancers? What is a remembrancer anyway? Well, you know back there, in that ancient time, a king among all the different officers of his court would have a remembrancer. And what was he to do? He was to remind the king of the promises he had made that must be fulfilled. Here comes a man from some part of the domain, and he comes in and presents his petition to the king. He makes his request. The king considers it. He says, all right, at such a time, I will do so and so for you over there in that part of the kingdom. But the king is busy. He has many things to think of. Suppose that day should come and go and nothing be done about it. Ah, my friends, you see, that would cause reproach to come upon the royal name. The throne would be disgraced, wouldn't it? And so the remembrancer, as that time draws near, comes up to the king and says, don't forget that promise. It's almost time now for it to be fulfilled. And the king says, thank you, remembrancer. We'll take care of that. But tomorrow the remembrancer is likely to remind him again and again. How long? Till it's done, my friend till it's done. And thus the honor of the throne is maintained. Now we know that God is not in danger of forgetting. But our friend, he speaks in human language that we may understand. 
and he has appointed some people to remind him of his promise. Oh, what a privilege. What an honor. What a responsibility. One of those remembrances was Daniel. You remember that Daniel, as a young man of 18, was led captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. And there for over 70 years, he was a captive in a foreign land. In the providence of God, he came to be prime minister under more than one king. He was a high officer in two great empires. But he never forgot that he was a Hebrew. And he never forgot that someday God's people were going back to Zion. He never lost sight of that. The gold of Babylon never glittered in his eye. The power of Babylon never appealed to him as something to be desired. With his windows open toward Jerusalem three times a day, the prime minister of the world's great empire knelt and prayed that God would build up the walls of Zion. But as the time that Jeremiah had foretold drew near, as the 70 years were almost expired, Daniel grew anxious. Ah, oh, you say, what did he have to worry about? God will keep his promises all right. Turn over to the ninth chapter of Daniel. I want you to see something, friend. Some people are too busy to pray. But here's the prime minister serving under the king of the world. And he takes time off to plead with God to study the scriptures. What's he burdened about? Our friends, he's burdened about the return to Jerusalem. He's burdened about the building up of Zion. The ninth chapter and the third verse says, I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, and then follows his prayer, verse after verse, sincere, humble, heartfelt. Oh, friends, what a prayer. Heaven itself bent low to hear those supplications. And the mightiest angel in glory was dispatched to fly on rapid wing to the side of Daniel and tell him that he was greatly beloved and that his prayer was heard. Read it all there in the ninth chapter of Daniel. My point is this, friends. Daniel was one of God's remembrances. And notice how he reminded the Lord of his own honor. The 19th verse. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake, O my God. For thy city and thy people are called by thy name. Again, back in the 17th verse. Now, therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplication, and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. You see, he was deeply in earnest. 
Yes, Daniel was one of God's remembrances. Did God hear that prayer? And God moved upon Cyrus, as you read in the 10th chapter, and after a great battle with the host of darkness, Cyrus was stirred up by the Spirit of God to issue the decree that allowed the Jews to go back to Jerusalem. My point is, prayer moves the arm of omnipotence. Does God have a remembrancer here tonight? Is there somebody upon whom heaven has laid the responsibility to remind the king of the universe that the time to favor Zion, yea, the set time has come? Oh, friends, if God has given you that job, then the words of Scripture to you are, Ye that are the Lord's remembrancers, take ye no rest, and give him no rest, till he establish, and till he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Some distance from this campus, not long ago, another minister and I were talking together about things in the world and the closing events. And the question came up, what can we do? What should we do to help bring things to the finish the way they ought to be brought? And as we talked and prayed together, it was very clear that the one thing that is certain that we can do the one thing without which all other things are useless is to plead with God with all our hearts for the revival and reformation. Sixty years ago the message came, a revival of primitive godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. To seek this should be our first word. In that message we were told that we were not to wait to see the whole church revived. That time, said the Lord's messenger, will never come. We must enter upon this work individually. We must pray more and talk less. Does that mean that the church will not be revived? Yes. No, it does not mean that, my friend. It means that everybody in the church will not be revived. You who have studied the coming events as revealed in the Bible and the spirit of prophecy know that this movement is yet to experience a terrible shaking and stiffness. Multitudes of worldly professors will leave the ship, will be washed overboard as we go into the great problems of the future. But that doesn't mean, my dear friends, that the movement is going to go all to pieces. Neither does it mean that this church is going down. Israel will be saved. The Redeemer shall come to Zion. Thank God, friends. Here in this world, a people will be developed that see eye to eye and speak the same thing. I like the way it's put here. 
in this book, Prophets and Kings, page 725. Clad in the armor of Christ's righteousness, the church is to enter upon her final conflict. Fair as the moon, clear as the sun, and terrible as an army with banners, she is to go forth into all the world, conquering and to conquer. It's going to be a beautiful sight to the universe when this church puts on her beautiful garment, the Lord our righteousness. When Zion is purged from those who trouble us, when she arises and shakes herself from the dust, when every chain, whether it be a chain of steel or a chain of gold, is gone, and in her glorious liberty, unencumbered with worldly alliances, unaffected by worldly fashions, unimpressed by worldly customs, that woman that Christ himself gave his life for, that he might make her his bride, shall appear in all the beauty of the Lord. Oh, friend, it is for that that we are to pray. It is for that that we are to intercede. It is for that that we are to cry and sigh in secret places. It is for that that we are to pour out our hearts. Not that God will become more interested because of our prayers. Our friends, it, that would be impossible. This is the one consuming longing of his soul. But unless somebody here on earth longs for it as he does, it can never be. And God has invited you and me to pray for this, that we may share in the answer to the prayer. Let me read another comment on this. This is volume 8, page 251. The time has come for a thorough reformation to take place. When this reformation begins, the spirit of prayer will actuate every believer and will banish from the church the spirit of discord and strife. May I say something, dear friend? And I say it not in any condemning way, not in any way to engage in controversy. But it might help some soul. Notice, the way the Reformation begins is not with some attack on the church or its leadership. Oh, no. Oh, no. The Reformation begins, it says, with the spirit of prayer actuating the believers. And until this spirit of prayer actuates the believers, the Reformation that this is talking about has not even begun, my it has not even begun. Somebody may get out a mimeograph sheet. Somebody else may get out a paper. Somebody else may write a book. But the thing that will bring the Reformation is largely neglected. It is Elijah that must first come. And Elijah spent a long time in prayer in the mountains of Gilead before anybody ever heard of him, my friend. 
he spent so long in prayer that he entered into an experience with God where his word could shut off the rain for three and a half years. And today, men that haven't power to shut the rain off at all or turn it on are bold to assume the role of Elijah, to point out sins that they see. Oh, if we are to enter into the spirit of Elijah, friends, we'll have to begin where he began, alone upon our knees in some secret place, with no thought of any glory or attention or recognition. Our souls must be poured out in supplication to God that he will arise and do things in Zion. We can do this. Each one here can do it. You can pray. The smallest child that understands what I'm talking about can pray and say, Dear Lord, come. Come and get your people ready for the homecoming. And the wisest man, the oldest man, the most experienced man here can do no less than that. And may I say, friends, until we do this, certainly we can do no more. Until we go this far, it is impossible to go farther. We must have this experience in prayer day by day in which we pour out our hearts to God for a revival of primitive godliness such as has not been witnessed since apostolic time. The time has come for a thorough reformation to take place. When this reformation begins, the spirit of prayer will actuate every believer and will banish from the church the spirit of discord and strife. Those who have not been living in Christian fellowship will draw close to one another. Now watch. Catch this next sentence. One member working in right lines will lead other members to unite with him in making intercession for the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Oh, that's it. That's it. As I pray earnestly day by day, the Lord's Spirit will move upon my heart. Here's your brother. Maybe he'll unite with you in prayer for these things. And what is it that we're to pray for? Not that we're to get together and talk over all the sins of our brethren, no friends. What does it say? Unite with him in making intercession for the revelation of the Holy Spirit. God can do more with the mess of this world in one minute, friends, than we can do in a lifetime. The very complexity of the situation, the darkness of the apostasy that surrounds us must lead us to desperate intercession laying hold of the throne of God, that God may be pleased to reveal himself and make bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations. For Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. Our friends, it's coming, coming soon, 
and all who share in the intercession may share in the glorious trial. And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness and all kings thy glory. It will be wonderful to see a people, a whole nation, scattered in every nation, with whom the one compelling motive is love, whose lives reveal the unselfish ministry of Christ, who, like their master, go about doing good, healing the sick, comforting the sad, ministering to the needy, with no thought of recognition or remuneration, with no thought of making a name or making money, just for love's sake. That's the remnant church fulfilling Isaiah 58 and 59 and 60 and 61 and 62. It is in this hour that these chapters are to be fulfilled. Never in the past have they been completely realized. In this closing moment of the world's history, the people of God worldwide are to give to this earth and to the universe such a demonstration of heavenly love as has never yet been seen. But what must happen to bring it about? Prayer. Not ordinary prayer, but extraordinary prayer. Prayer not just that God will give me this thing that I want and solve my problems that bother me, but prayer that lifts us out of our narrow, selfish thinking and lifts us on wings of longing to the sanctuary above to share with Jesus the longing for the blotting out of sins and the end of selfishness. For Zion's sake will I not rest, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not hold my peace until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. Our friends, the thing that appeals to my heart about this tonight, there's a place in what we're studying for every soul here tonight. If there's somebody here that's been walking with God for 50 years, brother, press in as never before and plead with God for the vindication of Jerusalem, for the glory of Zion. And if there's somebody here that has never entered this pilgrim way, come and go with us to the glory land, my brother. If there's somebody here that has never put your foot in the, feet in the pathway, cast up for the ransom of the Lord, brother, we're going to a good land. We're almost home. Come and go with us. This world is going down, but what we're talking tonight is going up. All the securities of this world will soon be the insecurities. All the promises of this world will soon be just like so much paper that goes up in smoke. Here is something safe, sound, secure, certain. You can have a part in it. You can have a part in something that satisfies, something that will last through eternal ages. You can have a part in proving that God is right and Satan is wrong. God will have to work a miracle for you if it happens in your life, but God is ready to work that miracle. As he healed the leper, he can heal you of sin. As he has delivered thousands upon thousands from the sinful habits of this world, he can deliver you. He can put within your soul a love for the things of the Bible and a hatred for the lust 
the greed, the pleasure-mad whirl of this world. He can give you a love for unselfish ministry. He can do that for every one of you. Yes, friends, this is the hour of decision. Which way are you going to go? May I tell you, this is no time for ordinary measures. This is no time for sitting, as it were, shall I say, calmly, quietly, waiting for God to do something. Ye that are the Lord's remembrancers, take no rest, and give him no rest till he establish, until he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Every day on your knees, plead with God and say, Lord, the time has come for your promises to be fulfilled. The time has come for the church to arise and shine. Lord, stir the hearts of your people. Bring us back to the straight and narrow way. Bring us back to the simplicity and the purity and the unity and the love of the apostolic church. Plead for that day by day, day by day. And friends, as we pray, God will work in you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.